0: Hey everybody, this is Sean, and welcome to another episode of Shot by Shot. This is the second of two episodes with comic book legend Mr. Mark Wade. And building off of our previous episode, we go into the nuts and bolts of a few things. Uh, Mark talks about his upcoming Fantastic Four miniseries with the also legendary Neil Adams, but Kevin, you guys do a deep dive into a show that I know you adore quite a bit.
1: Yeah, uh, we talk a little bit about Better Call Saul, which I don't know that we do a deep dive, but we do talk about what we like about it. It's uh, Mark and, and I both uh, think it's one of the greatest things on television, so that was fun. And, <laughs> and uh, we also get into uh, some Black Panther discussion uh, about you know, Brian's run there with that. Uh, Mr. Coates, which is kind of cool, because Mark also has a relationship with Tanahase, so that's a a neat little side story we get into. A lot of fun in this uh, second part of this episode.
0: Yeah, it's definitely the equivalent of a Marvel bro-out. Two guys (laughs) who are experts at superheroes talking about making fantastic superhero stories.
1: Yeah, so this is, if you're a comic book fan, this is probably one of our more comic-centric episodes. you know, with, with Mark and Brian really got into the weeds of uh, of discussing the, the things that, that they like about uh, comics and what makes things work. And uh, it was pretty enjoyable all around.
0: Yeah, it's a really fantastic time. So please enjoy Mr. Mark Wade. Mark. Yes. How's your drink?
2: Uh, it's actually I need another refill. I'm about out.
0: So You should go get a drink because I'm about to ask you more questions.
2: All right. I'm, 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 I, can, I can
0: walk and talk at the same time. I'm good. Okay, okay. Ah, so awesome. we're, we're talking about these shots uh, and how your writing and the artist and that symbiosis kind of confirms it. But in Shot by Shot in general, we're looking for your favorite comic shots and film shots of all time. So growing up, were there any panels or layouts that were especially influential on your career
2: yeah and and what's weird is that when you look at them today they don't work at all there's ah nice (laughs) yeah there's a neil adams was the first guy when i was a kid the first because when you're you know when you're six seven eight all comics art is good you know there's no differentiation but it was when i was like nine ten i catch on to neil and i'm like oh geez this guy feels different and this is energetic and i latched onto that and there's a there's a story he did early on. It was a Batman story. It's called "The House that Haunted Batman." Uh-huh, yeah. And if you look at that story, Neil breaks every single rule of graphic storytelling that there is. and he shatters it into pieces. And I would, as an editor, I would give lectures all the time about storytelling and this and that and immutable rules. And then I went back and looked at that story for the first time as an adult. I'm like, what am I talking about? It's like, yeah, there's guidelines, but it, 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 Neil made it work. I mean, it. I don't. I don't care that it that all the shots shattered and made no sense. It was exciting. And when I was a kid, I responded to it. I had no no problem following that story when I was a kid. So, what made it so subversive? Well, first off, his, his style alone. I mean, not just shots, but style alone was just such a. Oh, there was lead. a lot of
3: fisheye shots in that. Yeah, <laughs> that was just
2: crazy. A lot of fisheye shots. A lot of a lot of odd angles a lot of down shots a lot of up shots i mean D- dc comics were based on dan barry dan barry was an artist who did a lot of newspaper stuff but he did a lot of comic stuff in the 50s and he was the house he was admittedly i mean dc made no bones about it in the 50s and 60s that was the house style and yeah. that and kurt swan and that sort of you can draw a line between all those guys right it's 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 good. By the way uh-
3: Dan Barry was the first guy to give me a serious critique on my comic book work. So And how did, and how for, did it go? Thanks for bringing it. Yeah. it went. It went great. He basically kind of taught me what meat and potatoes were.
2: Yeah, right. I, and, I, and I love his work, but that's the, that's the style. And so Neil comes along, and suddenly you're seeing, like you said, fish on shots. You're seeing weird angles. You're seeing between him and Steranko. You know, oh, they, re, they totally rewrote the book in a period from about 1969 to about 1972. The two of them. And when you, Steranko in particular, when you look at Steranko's influence and you take into account how few comics he actually drew, that yeah. to me is what's phenomenal is mm-hmm. that I don't know that there's been anybody in comics ever who has had that level of influence, that, that amount of influence relative to how little they actually did. Oh yeah, I mean I can't. Yeah, can you yeah, think of anybody? I can't think of anybody.
3: Oh no, the guy, the guy is a bomb. You know, he right. just the um, you know, sort of the vo- the voice of Black Bolt.
2: You know, yes. he can yeah, yeah. say a word and just topple a mountain.
0: You know,
3: yeah.
2: But Starencio in particular would just you know, and again, I'm, I know I'm shifting from Adams to Starencio, but it's also, you know, when you say it in my mind's eye, when I think about the perfect shot, it's not an Adams thing; it's a Starencio thing. There's a Captain America story where. At the climax of it, Captain America is a full page splash. At the climax of it, Captain America with a shield held, held high is like pulling himself up from a sea of Hydra agents that's piling on him like army oh. ants. You know that. You know that page. <laughs> yeah. That is a phenomenal page. And you would never have seen that in a DC comic when I was growing up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Mark, now you're yeah. working with Neil Adams. Yeah. That's. That's a good transition. So, are you trying it, to break rules? How are you writing for someone who inspired you as a child? It was interesting. I, I went into this thinking,
2: all right, well, Niels is going to do whatever he wants to do. <laughs> you know, I, it does. <laughs> this is going to be the easiest job I've ever had. I'm just going to write a script, and Niels is going to draw whatever the hell he wants to draw, and I'll go dialogue it. And instead, to my stunned surprise, he actually followed the script. Now he didn't wow. leave me. A roof, he didn't leave me room for balloons, but he followed the script. And so <laughs> it, it's it's. It's interesting to see how, you know, how he moves things around, though. You can tell the stuff that he doesn't like to draw and he doesn't like to draw humor, whether he realizes it or not. He doesn't like to draw the comic moments because that's, you know, nothing wrong with that. But, for instance, in the first issue, uh, I had this whole like two and a half page sequence devoted to just a Ben and Johnny practical joke because the two of them riffing off each other is my favorite thing to write. And it was just two silent pages of Ben in the Baxter building. He sees a a sign taped to the, a crude sign taped to the wall that says Ben with an arrow. And he follows that and he finds another crude sign, Ben, this way, Ben, Ben, Ben. As you see him following these signs and you cut to Johnny and you pull back and Johnny is, as I described it, like a giant trebuchet that he's built with a pie on it that is about 12 (laughs) feet wide and that's what he's waiting for and neil and again this is not a criticism it's just it's interesting the way he paces stuff neil didn't see the need for the long build so that turns into about a page and a half of stuff and the pie is about you know a foot wide so wow (laughs) yeah and the the intent is still there the intensity of the joke like the 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 absurdity of the joke is not there, but, and that's kind of Neil in in a nutshell, right? Neil doesn't draw the absurd real Neil kind of likes to draw and drill down on what we call quote unquote, the realistic, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what it's been like is watching him expand stuff, shrink stuff and never to his credit, never because he feels like he's got got to draw a splash page here so he can make a lot of money off that splash page, you know, which a lot of artists, as you know, will do. it's oh yeah, know, yeah move things around. I mean, it, you know one of the reasons that is is because Neil told me going in, i want here's what I want. I want two two galactus full pages. And I want a two page spread of the Silver Surfer and then you do whatever you want to do. So Oh right. man, that's cool. That is yeah. really cool. Great. Okay. <laughs> I can hit those I can hit those notes and then I can tell my story. So that also, you know, if he had any itch in him to to mold the story to get splashes, well, I've already given them to him, so I didn't have to worry about that. Um, yeah. but it's been it's been surprisingly fun. You're always terrified about working with guys that you have worship going up because if the experience is bad, it's gonna ruin everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that
3: but, kills, man.
2: <laughs> yeah. And so there was that trepidation. But no, he, you know, he came through like a champ and it's done. It's all done, which means that when we start coming out, there's not going to be any of the Neil Adams lateness happening and kicking in about issue two or three.
3: That's 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 actually really cool. And, and the, the nice thing about that is that, you know, I, I think as an artist, you know, Sometimes the stuff just flows and then there are other times where it's just like, ah, I, I've got to wrestle with this sort of, you know, cracking. And, uh, yeah. and it's, it's, it's kind of nice to basically go, no, 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 You solve the problems. You take it easy over there, do your thing. And when you're finished, we'll publish it.
2: Yeah. So now to steer back into Sean's question a little bit more, I mean, besides the comic stuff, you're asking me about, about shots. Yeah. Every night when we're doing our, Better call Saul, watch through again. I've seen it once. Brandy has seen it, only has never seen it. So we're doing it episode by episode. Every episode of that show, there are phenomenal shots shots from inside things, wide every scene ends on a wide shot, which is really interesting. I don't know if anybody on this podcast has actually seen that
1: show. Uh, It's one of my all time favorite shows. Absolutely, the best writing, acting, directing combo in television uh that, at least that, it's in the top five for sure
2: that that show and its actors have never been nominated for any awards is what? mind-blowing it's absolutely never i don't think i don't think they've ever been nominated for an emmy which makes no sense to me it's
1: it's truly uh it makes no sense and and i get not being able to love the show if you didn't see breaking bad uh which if you're a tv critic that yeah. doesn't make any sense anyway but so i, I understand like the the normal guy that tunes into season one and doesn't really understand why everybody's so in love with this character at first. Once you get into it, it doesn't matter. From the acting, obviously it all starts with this great script. Kind of like with with the comics, you know, you could have a great script if you don't have great actors. It's like not having a great artist. It's just not going to be there. You know, it's going to be solid, but not great and meaningful. And this is just across the board. There's nobody you could ever think to play any of these roles other than the, the actors that are playing them. Right, and Vince Gilligan,
2: Gilligan, who is the mastermind, the writer, and often the director of the show, he does one of the reasons I respond so much to his work is because he does visually what I like to do, which is start on an image that, with no context, doesn't seem to make much sense. Or it. Oh man! Like I distinctly remember one of the better Call Saul episodes is great. Is you start with an upshot in a blue sky of Two sneakers, you know, tied together with the laces, hanging over uh, an electric cord, you know, an yep. electrical wire, you know, in the middle of the desert. What the hell am I looking at? Then, and then, <laughs> about thirty minutes in, you, you know, that's flash forward. Then, about thirty minutes in, you see wh- how the sneakers got on top of that, and suddenly it's a story. Um, and the same with, I like doing that. I, I think that that first page is real estate you can't afford to squander. When I'm at my best. I get to write an image, one shot that tells a whole story. Yeah. I mean, yeah, those, And those, those are hard to earn. <laughs> you know, those, yeah. those are really hard to earn. But I really make a, an effort. One of, the, one of the most effective splash pages I ever got to write, and it's only because Ron Garney drew it. And if it had been drawn by anybody else, they would have screwed it up and it wouldn't have worked. But it's, it's a Captain America page and it's, a, it's an upshot of the Flatiron building or the, actually the New York Times, but the one with the news crawl around it, right? Oh. Um, and a Hydra agent is standing on a ledge right over the news crawl, and he's already thrown a bomb, and Captain America is already diving for it, diving right toward us, trying to get the bomb. And on the news crawl, it says, you know, Hydra agent terrorist threatens Manhattan with bomb or something like that. <laughs> and to me, that was – I could just lay down for the rest of the day at that point and like no that what I that's what you should be doing that that image tells a story right there one one image and i'm so proud of that that's to me the empirical goal if i can do that once a story i am a very satisfied man
3: for me when when a writer either writes in a situation and you can you can think of kind of the the setup or the coda for mm-hmm. that situation in a single image yeah um, and and it's just like those those to me really make it especially like when when you can get an image not just one of those here's an awesome image but one of those images that blooms and you just yeah. kind of you don't realize that you're seeing something develop and right. uh, and and right. then, then when it's when it's there it's just like oh
2: okay wow you know that was just that was just a meal served up in a single image right but you got to make it count because you know, economy of storytelling, you've got what a hundred panels an issue. So, so the trick is to use that. And you do that brilliantly frequently use you as a layout. I mean, you're good at everything, but layouts in particular, your story, (laughs) the storytelling that you do is, is my favorite thing about your work. And I often use you as an example to younger and up and coming artists, like look at layouts and layouts are so important and they don't get it because most comics look like a ransom note of photographs right
3: yeah 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 <laughs> and and I, th- I think um the the sad thing is uh and it's it's sort of something that I that I always say to um to uh young artists um mm-hmm. don't look at the script as a grocery shopping list right you know don't, don't like just kind of go okay well the writer wrote this let me draw this the writer wrote this let me draw this it's just like because I, I think we're both in service to storytelling you know, yes. the writer writes, the artist draws, but as a team, we storytell. Yep. You know, and, uh, and uh, you mentioned the uh, the Neil Adams thing earlier. One of the things that I think is uh, kind of interesting is I-, I believe like the storytelling part, um, we can't separate that from true experience. We, we can separate the art from experience and we can look mm-hmm. at the art as as a piece of art and we can separate the writing from experience and look at the writing as, oh, wow, you know, sort of, this is nice phrasing, this is nice grammar, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's possible to separate the storytelling from experience. And and I feel that, that a lot of times if the storytelling in comics or really any story is well done, mm-hmm it drops into your memory as experience, as something that you lived.
2: Yes, because you're in it, because you've connected to it, exactly. And then it becomes yeah. part, of, part of your, you're right. I mean, it becomes, like you said, it, it, in a way that it almost feels like it happened to you.
3: Exactly, exactly. Yes. And, and I find that when I, when I go back and I look at these comics, there's not a single panel in that sequence that I remembered. <laughs> you know, right it's just like well well this wasn't the art i remember wolverine doing this yeah <laughs> you know and it's just like it's because i'm not remembering the art i'm not remembering the writing i'm remembering the storytelling as experience and you're, and well, I,
2: you're also yeah you're also remembering when your blood was up i mean that's the thing yeah right that's, yeah yeah I, I i plot is not the thing i've learned most in 35 years is a plot doesn't matter i mean plot is important as a structure, but. People don't remember plot. They, I defy you to tell me the plot of any James Bond movie you ever saw.
3: You can Exactly. But
2: exactly. you remember the car chases. You remember the hot girls. You remember the sex. You remember the, the moments when your blood was up. That's what you remember, and that's the part that is important. So yeah. like you said, if the storytelling is good, even if it's not the art as you remember it, it's the feeling, the immersive feeling that it gave you. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I say the same thing about the art. The, the art
3: itself, how well this person drew this foot, um, mm-hmm. that doesn't matter at all. No. Um, the art is, is entirely in, in service to storytelling. And I think there's a certain point with, uh, with both writers and with artists where once you exceed that point, it's, it's about ego and it's now detracting from the story. Yes.
2: It's, yeah. Yeah.
3: You know, and, and it's, um, and, and I think a lot of times when, when I see a writer going off on a soliloquy and, you know, just really saying this awesome bit of dialogue, that's just yeah. so beautifully crafted. I'm like, okay, you've, you've now stopped my experience of the story and yeah, i'm i'm looking at your penis you know yes
2: save it for the stage play man i mean this is the the question i ask about every single project becomes any humanoids the first question is always why is this a comic ah wow if it can be a stage play let it be a stage play if it can be a novel let it be a novel but i'm only interested in publishing the things that can only be told in this form
3: yeah so let's back up a quick
0: second because mark we haven't actually talked about this You are the new publisher of Humanoids. And this is the home of Jodorowsky and Mobius. And full disclosure, I do some work for Humanoids as well. But I want to ask you real quick. We've discussed this. So what attracted you to this European publisher that had so many offbeat psychedelic comics?
2: That it was transgressive. that That they were interested in being in places that nobody was in, in terms of storytelling, in terms of subject matter. Because, I mean, part of that is because I've seen it all by now and it's not a that's not a value judgment it's just simply i've been i mean let's go down the list i've been an editor a writer an artist a a penciler an inker, a letterer a colorist i have been a publisher i have been i have been i've owned i've owned a store i have done i've done everything but put the staples in the fucking books and so i needed something that was apart from my experience and that's what it drew me to the humanoid stuff is that they were interested, like I am, in being in, play, in being in spaces that nobody else is in. That's what, that's what draws me in.
0: So here's the question that's a lot harder, is what hasn't been done? What do you think is there that hasn't been explored in an era when we're so connected? So we could see these comics online in Lithuania, which, you know, when Karen Berger, Berger was here, we right. didn't know about Neil Gaiman or Alan Moore. And she was able to escort that physical product in those writers here. So how do you breach that wall in 2020?
2: I wish I had a better answer for you. I I am still new enough at this where the the only answer I have is the same answer that you hear about art, which is it's good when I, I know it's good when I see it. Um, Yeah.
3: And that's really the only answer you can give.
2: I really wish I had a better answer. It's not that I'm, because if I I knew that, I would actually be able to write that stuff myself Mm -hmm. without, with ease. It's just that X factor of, I'm not sure what I, I, I can't exactly define transgressive It's just when it comes across my desk and it's something that uh, is is a subject matter that I don't normally see done in comics, then as long as it's a visual story, then yeah, I'm I'm automatically in. We have, I mean, we can't discuss them, but you, you and I know we've got like two or three projects coming up, original graphic novel projects that are stuff that is fairly raw and stuff that you wouldn't necessarily see. I can't see any other publisher publishing them. And it's not because they're, so outrageously graphic or horrible or you know nudie or gaudy or whatever that people run away. it's just the it's just the way they approach the stories and the storytelling
0: hmm. yeah absolutely i mean i think it also works the other way around it's like we were reading some of their older stuff like carthago and yeah. these are books that were deliberately so thought out and gradual that they redefine decompressed but right. by the end of it they have this majesty of scope that you wouldn't have with the expectations of pacing an American comic,
3: yeah, yeah. and I, th- I think that's a re- that's a real game with um with with comics. We've done it enough to where we've figured out kind of what works, yep, and I, th- I think when that happens, the visual spectrum gets smaller and smaller and yep. smaller, and all that stuff that resides outside of commercial tends to reside outside of the visual spectrum of storytelling Mm -hmm. and uh and i think the the real game is being able to kind of go hey we can afford to publish this and yeah i mean there may be kind of six people in indonesia that
2: love it right but you did it yeah (laughs) yeah that's just i would i mean i would rather you know i mean Fabrice, who owns the place, doesn't want to hear me say this, but I would rather break even with like three things that are really new and unexpected than, you know, make a million dollars
1: with a, a takeoff on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And you know, I just, yeah, no answer. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 12 gauge that we produce and, and put out, you know, uh, various places, but they're the things that nobody else is really doing or that's what you strive for yeah and and yeah people uh, we had this conversation a while back uh, one of the earlier episodes is you know what's a 12-gauge book yeah i know it when i see it and yeah uh, and sometimes i don't like uh we did this book called plastic that was a a serial killer that went in love with a sex doll the sex doll gets kidnapped and it's this crazy revenge tale and i struggled with it for literally weeks of I mean, this sounds really cool, but who's going to buy this? You know, who's going to buy it? And so the plan was, how do we break even? Like, let's at least try to figure out how to break even. And that's the, that's ended up being the number one selling book that I I ever had anything to do with. Yeah. Um, Because you you were doing something different. Right. And conversely, there's at least one
2: project that I can think of that was on the slate that when I really drilled down as the publisher, which is again, I've only been the publisher for, geez, what, two months now. Right. um, but when i drilled down on it i thought this is a good book but i could see this published by idw i could see this published by image i could see this published by a number of people and that alone makes me not want to do it as good as it is so wow.
0: and that was a brian k vaughn cool. book, right
2: that was a brian yeah i passed on that brian k vaughn jump yeah yeah no 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 <laughs> oh, no 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 <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it wasn't a book that was going to make us a billion dollars. I'm not that stupid, but, you know, I just I you got to have integrity. In, but in that's really I mean, that's my job. Right. Is ultimately as a publisher, if you boil it down to its absolute basic, basic, my job is to maintain the integrity of the company.
3: Yeah. And that's yeah. That's, that's that's a really tough uh, game as a, yep. there's this weird thing of, of like, Hey, if you just do good work, people will find it. And it's like,
2: yeah, that's but, <laughs> yeah. You
0: know. no, that's not
2: true.
3: It's just like, they may, they may find it after you're dead. Yeah. So it's, um, so it's like, uh, as, as, as a commercial venture, as a publisher, uh, it's a, uh, it's, it's real difficult to, to get into that. But, uh, but I think uh, the, the interesting thing to me is storytelling is, is, is infinite. And, and as, as a, you know, sort of a person behind the stage, when, when stuff gets offered to me, uh, my attitude is, is like, well, why am I doing this? You know, what? Yeah why why should i bother with this um this might be a mike Maniola project you should get him he'll uh, like the thing that i that i would hate is to do a project that mike Maniola would have done better you know right, or, right, right. or 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 any any of those it's like what what can i bring to this table yeah. you know what 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 am i bringing to this that sort of means i should be there there are writers that are that are kind of like off the beaten path and there are stories that are off the beaten path that I think you're not aware that they're good until you've seen them. Yes. And then what's gonna happen is that's gonna introduce a new piece of pie mm. and, and everyone's gonna start baking that pie. Yes. <laughs> you know? so, um, so like actually looking at that work and, and having the ability to kind of go
2: Okay, is this something that I don't like,
3: or is this something that's just different?
2: Right. Again, this the not everything is for you. That's the thing. I, if I could, if I could tattoo something onto every comic book fan's forehead right now, would be not everything is for you. You know, it's just somehow we went. I'm not. I, I'm speaking the royal us, not you specifically. Obviously, I mean, you're a smart <laughs> man, but but <laughs> I just mean I mean in in the sense that. Somehow in the last 20 25 years, we went from comics are for everybody to comics are just for me.
1: Yeah, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah, it's
1: it's that way in all entertainment now, though. It seems like it's you know, if I don't like it, it sucks and you shouldn't watch it, and if you like it, you're an idiot, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, Seinfeld actually has a good bit about that where he talks about really there's
2: either things either suck or they're great, that's the only (laughs) there is no spectrum between them anymore,
3: Yeah. yeah 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 as as kids growing up, being in the comic book shop, and you get into the habit of going, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if kind of stories and mm-hmm. and I think the worst thing is is when those kids grow up and start writing and drawing comics, yep, and they have no experiences they they just think of those same stories that they would sort of trade with each other in the in the comic book shop and and I think there's, there's something glorious about it, but you've, you've got to learn to put that craft in there.
2: Yeah, and, it's, and you've got to stop, like you said, drawing just from comics. I mean, it's, I, I gen, I, this is not always the case, but as a general rule, I believe that if you're good enough to be doing comics, then you've read enough comics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You, you don't have to read anymore. If you're good enough to do them, you're done with that part.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. that's the saddest thing about it is is um is what killed my uh, experience of comics is becoming a comic book artist. Oh, absolutely. Like yes.
2: I- when I went on staff at DC as an editor, I mean, I was I was buying every DC comic book every week for twenty years, right? And then I went on staff, and the first time you handed me all the comics for free that week, that took away from it. And then the first time I saw what you know, uh, the, have the machine, have a sausage is made after a week. I still love comics, but I love them in a completely different way.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I got to tell you the, probably one of the most disappointing things is I got to a point in my career where, where I realized, you know, I could probably call up any editor right now and get on their book. Right. X-Men, Superman, Batman, whatever, I could probably call the editor up and say, "Hey man, can I do an issue?" Sure. And they would say they would say yes. So mm-hmm. so there's a a point where you're struggling to get into the comic book industry, and then you're struggling to get on one of the top books, right? And and I I felt that I was actually at that point. And right when I reached that point, I was not interested in any of the books. I was more interested in the cre and the writers. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's it's more, not that I want to do Spider Man. I actually don't want to do Spider Man. My attitude is is who's writing it.
2: Right. And, you don't want to and do you don't want to do Spider Man to do Spider. You want to do Spider Man if somebody hands you a great Spider Man script.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and even even yeah. when I got offered uh, Black Panther. Um, right. they said, Hey, we'd like you to do Black Panther. And my first thing was, Well, who's writing it? And they were like, Well, we can't tell you. And I <laughs> right. was just like, yeah. Well, well, I'm out. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm I'm sorry, I'm 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 not gonna I'm not gonna do it because Black Panther is interesting, mm-hmm. but if it's Black Panther done terribly, I don't yes. want anything to do with it. Yeah.
2: So let's let's <laughs> let's drill down on that for a minute because I'm very curious because I know ta really well he's a good guy a huge comics fan and oh, yeah. and it's been fun watching him from jump him sending me his early scripts and going you know can I get some pointers and stuff and I'm like you're a Pulitzer Prize winning writer you don't need my help but <laughs> I'm curious from your perspective did he change did he get better did he did he change at all in the first like six months, eight months, whatever? I mean, what was your dude your per your perception of his progression as a comics writer is what I'm interested.
3: Okay, in? my, it was really kind of cool because um, what happened was uh, Will Moss, the editor, saw me give a portfolio review at a convention, and kind of went, "Oh, okay, you know, maybe you'd be a good guy to work with Tanahasi since he's never done a comic book before." Right. And, Working with him, like he sent me his first script. I did layouts for the whole thing. Right. I sent my layouts back to him. And honestly, it was like working with the Borg from Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like the moment that he sees how you've done something, mm-hmm. it's already part of how he works.
2: Right. He's, a, yeah, he's an incredibly quick study.
3: Yeah. And, and he looked at, because um, you know the the you know I would kind of look at his script and go, oh okay, you've you've done this as a cutaway, but I don't want to cut away from the action. I'm right. going to do this other thing. um, and you've done this as a splash page. I'm going to change that and do this with it." And he would see that in the in in the first set of layouts that I did, mm-hmm. and then when I got the second script, he was already incorporating those ideas into it,
2: yeah. He is. So it his, was. Hum- it was just spooky. <laughs> you know, yeah. Just his his, how, his how quick. I know his humility was, and his willingness to learn is. It, it's disproportionate to his talent, right? I mean, generally, oh, yeah. the, the, the people who come in to comics who are already supremely talented, they don't feel like it's that much to learn.
3: And that therein lies the problem, because I think, and I'm gonna go ahead and say it all of those people that come from other medium into comics, uh, comics is at its best. And and this is what we've been talking about at Mm -hmm. its best. It's a collaborative medium. Yep. And all of these people, they're used to fighting dragons on their own. Yep. And they bring that attitude into comics. And what ends up happening is their stuff is so word heavy and yes, it everything feels like, oh, you're my assistant. Yeah, and, you're my uh, art robot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I'm going to get you to assist me in this story that I'm birthing. And, right. And subsequently, I never like this stuff. and yeah. uh, and there's there's people who I love their movies, but I just hate their comics. And the cool thing about Tahae, you've experienced this also once once I real once they told me it was it was him and I agreed to it. I was just like, oh man, you know, and my attitude is if he wants to step in and big dick this whole situation, right? Go ahead. Yeah. You're Tanahase coach. <laughs> right. You know? Right. It's like, I'm not gonna be like, you know, sort of the kid in Tiananmen Square, kind of
2: you know, right. going, you're, No. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna get the pass because you're and, yeah. and yet he didn't oh, do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
3: without a doubt, one of the most humble guys I've ever worked yep. with. Yep. And as far as collabor I, I mean, I've been in the same studio with artists that i or with writers that I've worked with and didn't collaborate as much as with him. I yeah. mean, every every layout, every page. And what was really cool is he would look at my layouts and go, oh, I see that you made this choice. Was it because of this? And it was just like, just really astute. And there, there are times and and i love doing this um where i'm i'm going to do foreshadowing and mm-hmm. even though the writer hasn't written it in there i'm going to do foreshadowing sometimes visual foreshadowing sometimes setting things up to where you know i'm trying to tell do storytelling on several levels right and dude he was busting me left and right i mean i couldn't I couldn't sneak anything over the (laughs) place with him, you know? So it was like, it was, it was just really, you know, kind of cool. And, uh, and uh, we touched on this when we were kind of hanging out in um, uh, uh, Argentina, but there, there are times when as a writer and as an artist where you're like, okay, I'm writing this and everybody's going to get this. But while I'm writing this, I'm going to allude to this other thing. Yes. It really, you know, sort of, six guys, you know, sort of are gonna get it. Right. Because those six guys are cops in this situation and they would know. It's really fun for me as, as a creator to, to do that, to know that I'm entertaining audiences on, on, on different uh, levels. And it's, it's kind of fun when those people come up to you at a convention and kind of do that, ah, I saw that. Yeah. I saw that, <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, okay, yes, you did. You, <laughs> you know, I, I hid it in there, but you saw it. And, uh, and that was the, um, the coolest thing about wa- uh, working with T is uh, that he caught it. He, he caught it all. Yeah. And it was like just a fun collaborative process.
2: This is the conversation we would have had more on, more, you know, to say to each other in Argentina, if we could have heard each other. Oh, God. dear God almighty. I mean, a, a lovely show in Buenos Aires. I was there. You <laughs> yes. were there sitting next to each yes. other. A lovely show. Big. I mean, I would say, you know. Oh, not San quite, Diego,
3: San Diego Plus.
2: Yes. Yeah, San Diego Plus. <laughs> I mean, you know, five separate buildings all joined together. And Jesus. but for whatever reason, they decided to put the artist alley in the middle of Hall H, essentially, to use you know to use san diego nomenclature it's all the panels all the big movie presentations all the big things like that they were on the gigantic stage with the gigantic sound system like 150 yards away and so yeah you i know you had problems a couple times because the the reverb was so loud that it would shake your table
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like I, I actually couldn't ink because the tip of my brush was flapping <laughs> right, around. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was actually the loudest, like, space I've ever been in in my life. I yeah. Mean, it was just... just And and the times, the rare, rare occasion when the music was down low enough to, to talk, right. it was teenage
1: girls
3: just yep. screaming at the top of their lungs. Yeah, <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that was that was nice.
1: Ever, ever since you guys, when well, they wouldn't tell you who was going to be the, the writer, I'm yeah. just imagining Brian going, well, I've always wanted to do Black Panther. I can make this great. Uh, yes, I'll do this project. <laughs> and, sign in, and sign in on the line and, and the first script comes in, it's Black Panther. Bye. Tyler Perry and Brian Stelfries. <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> you know there's some editor somewhere that thought that would have been a great idea. Yep. Oh yeah, uh,
3: oh yeah.
0: Media
2: as t-tama. right? Exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: well, gentlemen, I smell a two-part podcast here. Am I mistaken?
0: <laughs> no, this is good. This is great. Since we've been doing uh, yeah. two-hour plus, this is an amazing length great ah,
2: i've listened yes. I, I mean i'm i don't want to cut off but i'm my voice is about shot and i've been doing podcast all day because i'm mark wade as you pointed out <laughs> at the top of the hour um, <laughs> I've no really adjectives
0: had necessary
2: <laughs> i have really had a good time did we sean do we cover the things that we wanted to cover of
0: course we always cover the things we want to cover
1: i,
2: I look i
0: i, I ask one
1: question time. one little sure. question before you go because I'm, I'm an Alabama guy and I know you were born in, in Huey Town Alabama Town, yeah and I'm in Pelham which is about yeah 40 minutes south but yep I just remember when I had my uh, comic book store opened up right out of college and we're still in college actually but that was when I guess Impulse came out not long after that I know that I was reading that when I had my store and uh, the fact that it was set in Manchester Alabama I could sell it to anybody that my store was in Auburn where I went to school at, to yeah college and so, oh, this book's set in Alabama, and we sold like a hundred copies, you know, a month uh, just because that's hysterical. of hysterical. That's great, but but, and, but that's a real town, right? Like, did was there a reason you set it there?
2: I didn't realize there was a real Manchester when I put it there. It was basically based on Prattville because that's where oh, I went okay. to high. That's where I went to grade school or or at junior high rather, and so that was my period to be in, in bar shoes and so I'm based on a line I pulled the name Manchester out of the blue and only later did we look at the map and find out that there is a Manchester now as I recall it's a gas <laughs> station <laughs> wow <laughs> but there is a Manchester
1: yeah that's funny
0: <laughs> everybody thank you so very much for joining us for another episode of shot by shot I am Sean and this is Kevin and we will be back next week with the lovely Mr. Johnny Christmas.
1: Johnny Christmas.
0: Johnny best Christmas, name. his real name.
1: The best name in comics. Awesome. Best name ever.
0: It's it's funny because you think of Christmas as being the most friendly, cordial day of the year, and I think Johnny is the most cordial, friendly man in comics. I, I can't really disagree with you after yeah. Spending
1: the podcast with
0: a the man is a, is a chameleon, so you know he's done Alien. He's doing a new European science fiction comic called Tartarus. Uh, he's just all over the place, but yeah, it's it was a pleasure talking with Johnny. So come back next week, and we'll have a new episode for you.
1: All right, see you then.
0: Thanks, everybody.